Hiya and welcome to episode 57 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm Chloe Bloxham and I'll be your host this week and I'm joined as ever by Dan Club and David Comerford. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Well, last night the Reds did get the job done. They beat Norwich City 2-1 in the FA Cup. And obviously, we always start with our three-word match reviews. So first, Dan, let me get your three-word match review and also just your overall feeling of the game. Yeah, so three-word match review-wise, um, I actually went with I'm sorry, Tacky, because I feel like I've been a little bit down on him and what he can offer to this squad. And obviously, we're going to dig deep into his performance in a minute, so I won't go too far, but... Yeah, I've been pleasantly surprised um, with what he's had to offer, and obviously particularly last night. Um, and in terms of the game, it went as planned, really. I suppose it was relatively comfortable. We alluded to off air how we didn't want the extra half an hour that we almost granted ourselves, if you like, towards the end by taking our foot off the gas. But it always felt like we had gears to go up. Um, and obviously when Novich got the goal back, we probably did step it up. And killed the game again. So, yeah, job done, like you say. Um, performance, not ideal, but we're in the hat, aren't we? That's all that matters. Yeah, exactly. We are in the hat. Uh, and, David, if you're ready, uh, I know you're having some problems with your mouse. Um, do you want to give us your three-word match review or would you like me to go first? No, it's all right. I'm good to go. Um, all having issues this morning. You can hear, you can tell hear Dan's slight uh, Wembley induced croakiness there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, soldiering on. My review would be uh, Minamino's lucky charm, and the reason I've gone for that is because I've seen all but one uh, of Minamino's goals at Anfield, and that is a little bit tenuous considering he's I think scored about five. But you know, eighty percent. Is pretty good going. I've seen all of them except the one against uh, Leicester, so arguably all but the best one. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence. Um, there's, I think there's some sort of connection that we share. Really, in terms of you know, we'll come on to Minamino in a bit more depth. And I know uh, Dan said he felt that we've been a bit harsh, and I've actually, you know, I can see what he means because I remember what we discussed previously about some some of the questions that we asked and. You know, we can come on to that in a minute um, when we discuss them in more detail. In terms of the performance, though, it was weird because the game really felt like it was done and dusted at 2-0. And it wouldn't normally be the case in any game, really, against the Premier League side. Um, but we know Norwich are arguably the worst uh, Premier League side this season. Um, and you know, based on that, it felt like it was done and dusted, and you were just sort of waiting for that third goal, I think, in in the second half. And maybe there was complacency that set in um, amongst the players. I'm not sure if that was the case. You know, I saw a lot of them putting in some you know hard yards in the second half, desperate to make an impact. Um, so I don't know if it was that. I think it, it was more just like a sense of drift within the game, really. And then obviously, when they get the goal, it's like. And gone away about to sort of let this go to extra time. And then if it goes to penalties beyond that, then it's basically a 50-50 toss-up. And is it going to be something that we've thrown away? Uh, you know, a chance to progress into the into the last eight of the competition. But thankfully, we saw it out relatively comfortably. I think 
they had a couple of attacks where it seemed like they got to the edge of the box, but then they essentially passed the ball straight straight to Allison. Um, so we managed it okay after that. So yeah, I think realistically it it was probably looked at by Klopp um as a situation. It was always going to be one of them where he made, you know, he said since the interview, he made 10 changes. Um, and I always think in, in cup games like this, when players haven't played together, you can't expect maybe the most fluid performance but the West still some really nice passages of play yesterday so there was maybe always going to be a need for um, perhaps a, a tighter scoreline or um, a more a less straightforward game than uh, we might have envisaged given the calibre of the opposition but yeah all that matters really in the circumstances yesterday is uh, that we got through and we did yeah, exactly. I mean, that ties in with my three-word match review, which was literally into the hat. Um, I didn't think we performed brilliantly. Uh, I thought there was some really good performances by individuals, but that second half was extremely sloppy from us. Um, it, it felt like it was a hot potato. It, you just couldn't keep the ball long enough. Um, but we we saying that we did have enough chances to kill off the game. We didn't. You felt it 2-0 when we got the second that we'd go on to, to score about four or five, but that never happened. And um, when that doesn't happen, you at least need to make sure you get the job done because this Liverpool side have had some results this season in which we feel like we've been comfortable with cruising and then we, we dropped the lead. Um, and luckily that didn't happen. So, um, yeah, a, a really decent, decent game. And talking about those individual performances, I'll come back to you, David. And um, you mentioned Minamino there, which I'd like to put a disclaimer on. How many times on this show have I literally confessed my love for Takumi Minamino? Um, I think I was the only one who literally stood up for the lad. Um, and to be fair, it was because I thought he was a sensational player. And I think we saw that last night. What impressed me the most was his back to goal. He was absolutely brilliant at holding up a ball. What did you think the the best part of his performance was last night? Well, I think, you know, first of all, what you say about Minamino and how you sort of stuck up for him, I think, you know, that is fair enough. I think where we might sort of differ in, in our opinion on him is that I think you sort of view him as a as kind of a top player, really. You know, obviously, you're not like world-class or anything, but you really like race him very highly as a footballer. I think, for me, the, the main thing that strikes me this season is is his goal-scoring record. Um, and you just you simply can't argue with it. Like, I think he's got nine goals overall. You know, it was um, our first game of March yesterday, and he's nearly in double figures already. You know, given the amount of minutes he's played, I think his minutes per goal record record is excellent, um, and that is, you know, the most important thing. Obviously, is goals. I don't necessarily think that, you know, his all round game is kind of there. You know, there was a couple of moments yesterday. I remember thinking he showed kind of better physicality, which is an issue that you know we've seen in the past with Minamino, but. Um, yeah, it's it's got a little bit better, but there, you know there were a couple of moments, you know, in the kind of the second half where he almost plays a pass like um, through a gap in the defence, and I'm sort of sat there thinking to myself, maybe that's kind of what you'd point to as an example of not having the, you know, the all round complete package. But to what extent does that really matter when 
you know, you haven't paid that much money for him, and he's someone who's largely going to be playing in cup games and coming off the bench in the league. And I think he uh, he deserves great credit for the the end product he's he's produced this season. And uh, if we do, you know, we'll talk about the Saints. But if we do go on to win, you know, three or maybe even four trophies this season, then he's going to have to, you know, get his his fair share of credit for that as well because he has been a crucial uh, player for us in the cups and kind of a a, a decisive figure. I think to allude to what kind of Dan mentioned earlier and sort of tying in with what you said too, Chloe, there was the game against Arsenal, the first leg of the uh, the cup semi-final where he missed the, uh, well, he missed the sitter. I'm not quite sure if it was an open goal or not. It might well have been where the ball sort of bounced up uh, in front of him. And we all agreed at the time that it was a pretty dreadful miss. And there was, I, I think it was uh, in the aftermath of that, that we had a discussion about him and I sort of posed the question, is he someone who looks like a 7 million squad player in an area where they cost 40? And, you know, we're here, uh, you know, two or three months later and the conversation is markedly different. So maybe that was kind of unfair. Was that what did feel like, a, you know, a big moment in his career for the wrong reasons? I think you got to look at the season as a whole, stepping back as, a huge positive for him. And what I would say on that comparison between him and, you know, the players that we looked at enviously at Chelsea and City, more so before we signed Diaz, to be fair, is that he's probably outscored most of them this season. And yes, he's faced some weaker opposition, but, you know, from his point of view, he can only take on what's been put in front of him. Um, and he's done that admirably. Yeah, 100%. I, I agree. I don't think he's being given the greatest of opportunities to, to go and make an impact, to be honest, in the sense of, um, you know, he, he's probably not in that situation of knowing um, the, the the game as well. I think Virgil van Dijk alluded to it after, you know, his injury. He said, you can train all you want, but unless you're actually in the situations, because the situations come so so fast that, yeah, you don't have time to think. You've already got to know what you're doing um, and you've already got to be in that position. You really, really feel those moments and situations when in a game. So I think Minamino at times has struggled with the fact that he maybe hasn't had the opportunities to settle into a game. But saying that, um, I think I saw... His goal ratio was every 84 minutes, I think, he got a goal. And I think every single shot he's had in the Cups, he's scored. So, Dan, bringing that in, can you really ask anything more from the lad? I mean, he's maybe not had the greatest opportunities in the Premier League, at least. But in these Cups, like Jürgen Klopp alluded to, he got us into that. Uh, he was a massive part of him in Divacarigi to get us to the, the Carabao Cup final either day. Uh, he sat out of it. He, you know, he looks like a lad that would never moan. He looks down, really humble, uh, and his confidence was was absolutely at an all time high yesterday. Because I thought that was one of the best games he's ever played. Yeah, definitely, that was his best performance in Liverpool shirt, in my opinion. Not just the goals, um, all round. I thought he was full of energy, full of endeavour. He just looked determined to um, to make an impact. Um, and you're right to allude to. Obviously, he doesn't get involved in the final on Sunday. And having played such a huge hand in getting us there, you think, oh, is that a bit of a kick in the teeth for him? And will he let him, will he let that negatively affect him? But it's testament to his attitude and his sort of willingness to, to play for this football club that, like a couple of days later, he shrugs that off 
and he puts in another, uh, well, a very good performance. Um, and a performance that we could look back on potentially as sort of one of the catalysts for whatever we achieved this season, especially in the FA Cup, of course, because we all look back at Minamino's sort of Carabao Cup run now in like a glowing light, don't we? Because his goals, in particular the Leicester one, gets us there. Without them, that doesn't happen. So maybe a similar thing from last night in a few weeks or a few months' time. Um, but for me, overall, on Minamino, I, I always wondered whether he had the quality to make the step up when we, when we asked him to, because occasionally he was overlooked on the bench, whereby we needed to change a game and he wasn't the one to come on and do it. And you thought, there's something not right here. And obviously we loaned him out last year at Southampton. You think, oh, obviously Klopp doesn't fancy him that much if you were letting him go at a critical part of the season and all that sort of stuff. But last night just proved that, you know, if you stick by a player and, you know, you give him the confidence in one way, shape or form, then he has got the quality to impact games. And, and they might not be the biggest game, because obviously Norwich in a relegation battle is the FA Cup, etc. But his goals, like you alluded to there, have been, you know, he's been a cup, cup maestro forwards, hasn't he, this season? Like, he's unstoppable. And I thought last night, he was more than that. He was strong on the ball, which is quite new. I haven't seen that before. He was shrugging people off, whereas previously it was the other way around. So, yeah, no doubt about it. That performance filled me with a lot more confidence about what Minamino can bring us this season and, and perhaps even beyond. Yeah, exactly. And, and we mentioned the, his attitude and I think Milner, after the game, even talked about it. Um, and you can just see what a, a family this football club is. At The fact that Takumi Minamino, who obviously has been a hero in the cup competitions, that Leicester goal, we'll, we'll never forget. Um, and it seems that every single player in this entire squad, in you know, in the dressing room, is absolutely made up for him. And I, I think that that shows um, how much everyone knows that this is a team sport. That every single one of them is going to be needed, and it, it looked like they were all delighted for him. Um, but speaking of James Milner, I'll come back to you, Dan. I thought he was absolutely brilliant yesterday. Um, defensively, probably more than attacking-wise for me. I just thought whenever I saw them have a glimpse of getting in behind, which they did do several times uh, along, you know, ball up the pitch, he was always there. He always read the play. Um, and I think if you saw him in a start midfield three, you'd maybe have a bit some questions. I, I know... Uh, when he, he was brought on in, in the Carabao Cup final, a lot of people around me in, in um, Wembley said, mm, I think that's a bit too early of a change, that for him. But is this the game he's kind of made for now? The experienced head, the one to lead us all. And I know Jordan Anderson was there, but when he went off, you had James Milner there. And James Milner doesn't accept anything but 100%. And uh, he defo puts absolutely everything into every single game, doesn't he? Yeah, he definitely does. Um and I agree with you, I think he was very good last night, particularly in sort of a, an unfamiliar position, even though no position is unfamiliar to James Milner these days. Um, he's played everywhere for us, hasn't he? But yeah, last night was a very good performance. Um, I was quite surprised not to see Conor Bradley start at right back, if I'm going to be honest. But at the same time, you know, obviously that was a quite a heavily rotated side, obviously 10 changes from the weekend, and you need that sort of being there, done it, alongside Jordan Henderson. So 
Just Henderson, you're probably asking a lot of him to sort of marshal that team through and be the experienced head. So getting James Milner in there in some way, shape or form alongside him is really important. So obviously, those are the sort of fixtures he can probably influence now in terms of his experience and his quality, if we're going to be honest, because I think starting games, big games in particular, in like a midfield three is probably beyond him now. And I'm quite reticent to say that because he's defied me and numerous people time and time again. But I don't see next season in particular him starting many big games. Um, But yeah, his influence on the squad sort of off the pitch is what makes him so important moving forwards. Obviously, there's a lot of contract talk at the minute and Jurgen Klopp seems determined to keep him. Um, And I think a lot of that is down to the influence he has and sort of the role model effect he is on that squad. I think he's still going to have these moments on the pitch whereby he comes on and he'll spoil games and he uses all his his nous and his know-how to to see us through a match. But at the same time, I do believe his sway in what he can do for this football club is edging ever closer to that sort of look at James Milner, look what James Milner does, follow his footsteps. And we've got such a young side now. You know, we talk about the Harvey Elliott's, the Curtis Joneses, Tyler Mortons, so many players coming through at the same time that need someone to look up to. I mean, there's loads of players in the squad, if we're going to be honest, but none of them have done what James Milner has done in terms of his longevity, won everything, you know, just a, just a hero, isn't he? He played the international level, obviously, so... That is a huge part of why I think Klopp is so desperate to keep him. And last night, if you can do that for us every now and then, there's even better. Yeah, 100%. I think James Milner's work ethic is probably one of the best you'll ever see. Um, and Like Dan alluded to, the uh, the role he plays in this football club, David, is not just the, the, the role of come on the pitch and do us a job. You've seen him at the academy um, supporting the lads. You've seen them at games where all of our players have been sent home, given a rest for the night, and James Milner sat there in the stands behind Jürgen Klopp trying to help the team out. That is the kind of role model we have, and uh, I think we've got quite a few of them in our team, but James Milner is probably the, the leading factor in there. And would you be happy if he did sign a one-year contract? Maybe if he even doesn't play that much or is involved, but, you know, you've got someone on the bench there who can talk to those young lads, talk to the players on the pitch, put put an arm around someone when they need it, uh, and also drive this team on because there's not an I love more in this world than James Milner putting one on someone in a game 10 minutes in. It's brilliant. He sets the tone every time. Yeah, I think he's got a clause in his contract where he has to, uh, where he has to do that or come on and pick up a yellow or, or something like that because... He does it like in robotic fashion, to be honest. Um, I think with the contract thing, there's two things I'd say. First of all, you know, he kind of has to take um, a pay cut, really, because I'm pretty sure the money he's on is like, you know, kind of 150k a week. Um, I might be wrong on that, but um, I think that was kind of what he was on at City and he's kind of maintained that at Liverpool. So, you know... From a financial standpoint, I think he'd have to, you know, agree to take a pretty, you know, sizable chunk off his wages. And I'd like to think he's someone who would do that. Um, 
and that would obviously pull you know help Liverpool quite a lot and um, giving them more room uh, potentially for recruitment. I think the other thing would be you've kind of got to defer to the manager's judgments on this one because you know we've talked a lot about Milner's intangible behind the scenes attributes. It's stuff that we as fans don't see. You know we can only kind of put the pieces together um, and. The fact that Klopp is pushing so hard and publicly as well, which you would maybe wouldn't always do when it comes to a contract, indicates that he thinks it's crucial maybe for the team dynamics to have Milner around. What I would say is, if he is going to stay, like Dan says, I don't really want to give him too much responsibility in terms of the actual games that he plays because, you know, we've seen Klopp likes to bring him on um, a lot when games are sort of tight and he feels like, I think he thinks Milner can kind of shut things down. But um, in reality, it seems to just cost us control um, in the middle of the park. And this is the first season really where I start to look at him and think um, you can you can kind of see his age a little bit. Um, and in the past, it's kind of just been like a fine wine, but I think this season, maybe he looks a little bit off the pace Um and yeah, sometimes you want quite a bit more technically. I think it's kind of, it doesn't really make too much sense to me how he's seen as someone who can shut down a game when he's someone who maybe doesn't have the the technical ability of, of other midfield options. Obviously, he's got different things that he offers. But yeah, yesterday's a prime example, I think, of where he can be useful without being sort of disrespectful to him because, you know, it, it was knowledge. It's just kind of the stage he's at in his career and a reflection of the quality of the players elsewhere in the squad. Um. You know, you talked about providing leadership to the young players that might be involved. And also the versatility that he has means that he can be used to, you know, give players like Trent Alexander-Arnold the rest. Um, you know, if we don't think Bradley is maybe ready for playing a Premier League side in like the last 16 of the FA Cup, then, you know, play Milner there, give Trent the rest that he needs. Um, and then you can play on the left, you can play... In midfield, maybe against you know weaker teams in the cups. So, I think that's an, an important thing as well, and that's what makes him kind of value one of the many things that really that that makes him valuable. So, yeah, I think my sort of take on the contract would be happy for him to to have it as long as it's kind of on reduced terms and with a sort of mutual understanding, really that club recognises value but can't maybe give him the same level of involvement and maybe it would be I think I've seen a lot of people saying this more of sort of a player coach hybrid role next season Yeah I think you mentioned there that this might be the first season where he's looked his age what I've seen from this season is he's had so many injuries when I think about it Um, I think this is the season where he's probably been the least available for us and that's not his fault you know his, his body um even though he is an absolute machine, uh, there comes a point where you can't, uh, your body just can't handle with the absolute pace of the Premier League, being in the FA Cup, being in the Carabao Cup, and then obviously the Champions League. Uh, there is so many games there, but um, that kind of leads us on as a segue because I've mentioned injuries and another player who has been absolutely hit with injuries in his Liverpool career is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. And for me, it might be one of the most frustrating players and not him. Well, maybe him. I just think he gets the opportunity and he doesn't always take it. I don't, 
yesterday someone had to like remind people around me that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was actually on the pitch. I think I remember hitting him, hitting the post in the second half, but aside from that, I don't really remember anything he did. Um, and that can sometimes be a good thing. I think about Jeannie Wijnaldum and all that he's done for us, and at times you could kind of forget he was there, but it was because he was doing the dirty work. But when you think about Chamberlain, well, when I think about him, I think about a lad who can bring the ball up the pitch, carry us up the pitch, have a go. Uh, I think about that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain before he did his ACL, who you know, was absolutely sensational against Man City in the Champions League. Roma, right before he got his injury, he was unbelievable. Um, and it's fair to say he's not quite hit those heights. And is it now a case of inconsistency will always be there with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain? Or is it a fact of... He's getting these opportunities and he's just really not taking them, Dan. Yeah, for me, I think it's the latter. Uh, I don't think we can sort of caveat for just saying, oh, listen, he's just inconsistent. That's just the way he is. We, we've gone beyond that now. That's sort of like old Liverpool talk, if you like, in terms of different areas. We were inconsistent under Brendan Rodgers. We were inconsistent at best under Roy Hodgson. Um we're better than that now. So I don't think we can just carry an inconsistent footballer. Um, for me, he missed, a, missed an opportunity last night. One in which, obviously, we made 10 changes and everyone else that came in seems to pretty much grab the opportunity with both hands. Obviously, we spoke about Minamino. I thought Simicast was good. Um, I thought Curtis Jones was excellent for the 45-minute cameo. He ended up playing. Um, but Oxley chamberlains missed that memo again. Um, I actually feel slightly sorry for him. Obviously, there's always the injury situation which people, you know, never forget about. And rightly so, because they have badly affected his time at Liverpool. And you obviously allude to how good he was prior to one of them injuries. Um, But at the same time, we must be getting on for three years down the line from that, perhaps even more. Um, And other than a short spell earlier this season whereby he had a little run of games, I was really impressed. It hasn't really clicked for him again this year. Um, and unfortunately, he, we spoke about James Milner's squad role and how you know, adept he's become at playing that. Alex Oxley-Chamberlain's squad role now at Liverpool is going to be, you know, sporadic appearances here and there. And he comes in and we're going to call upon him to make an impact on a game. He was on the periphery of that game last night. Like you say, it was quite easy to forget he was playing at times and that wasn't the case for anyone else. And for somebody who is so dynamic and is so sort of central to the attacking play when he's on form, that was a bit of a nothing performance, especially considering how much better than Norwich we were. He never truly grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck at any point. I was really disappointed and I think... When you count on the fact, like I say, everyone around him seems to go, okay, this is a chance for me. I'm going to take it. It's even more disappointing. And then when you look at his contract situation to bring it back to that, like we did with Milner, you think, okay, that wasn't a great night for you. And also, if you look at sort of the competition for places that are in the squad now, especially in the midfield area, I mean, obviously, Thiago's injured. Harvey Elliott comes on last night. You know, Curtis Jones played well. Like I say, Naby Keita wasn't involved. You look at Oxlade-Chamberlain and think, I'm not sure how many more of them opportunities you can afford just to let pass you by because, you know, come the end of the season, there's some big decisions to be made. And I think he is probably at the top of that list. Yeah, I think so too. And that that pains me because I actually 
when we first signed him, I was really, really excited. Um, I thought he was a youngster who had energy. Um, you know, he, he he had pretty much everything. He looked like a really good youngster. And when he joined Liverpool, I thought it was um, the kind of club in which he could thrive. And he's had a very, very bumpy time uh, at Liverpool. And uh, David, Dan mentioned there, Curtis Jones, who I thought was sensational. and. Curtis Jones doesn't make the bench in the Carabao Cup final. I think Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain does. Um, for whatever reason, Curtis Jones is being taken off. I, I thought he was sensational. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's being left on. But it's not really a good look for him when, yeah, he's a, he, you know Curtis Jones is a scouser and all, but he's a young kid. Um, and if a young kid is taking the opportunity more than you know uh, an experienced centre-mid who's played for England, um, He's obviously played for Arsenal. He's played for Liverpool. Um, he's played in big, big ties uh, as a, you know Alex Oxley Chamberlain. It's it's not really a great look for him. And Curtis Jones, who, um, in fairness, is a really good player, but he's still developing. At times, he can have these little spells of being inconsistent or not looking good. Um, it, it doesn't look good for for Chamberlain though when a, a youngster's coming in doing more than forty five minutes than he has in the entire game. You know what, I look at our squad and Ox is probably one of only a couple of players who I just kind of struggle to to work out, to be honest. And, you know, what kind of makes him tick? When does he thrive? When does he, when does he struggle? What is kind of, what are the factors at play here? And I think, you know, first and foremost, I thought it was kind of like a six out of ten performance. Like, I don't think he like, you know, stunk the place up or anything like that. But, you know. Missed opportunity is, is probably one way to look at it. I think there's an argument to be made with Ox that he needs rhythm. And he kind of had a run of games earlier in the season uh, when he was looking quite good. I think Dan alluded to it. But another really good point Dan made is that, unfortunately, because of the quality of players that we do have in midfield, his role is always going to be sporadic. So if he can't come in kind of from the cold and deliver, then... There's a limit to his his value to the squad, I think. Um, you know, you can also look at it and say maybe a certain type of game uh, suits him and make excuses for him and say maybe last night wasn't that. Um, and that maybe we need to kind of pick and choose, not maybe the based necessarily on fatigue as a whole, but more about the nature of the, the opposition. And that's how um, to get the best out of him. Um, I'm not sure about that. Like I say, he's someone who I, I struggle to to work out. But it always feels with him like um, a step forward and then a step back a few months later. And there was that spell earlier in the season where he was really good. And we probably had conversations on here saying, you know, that it could have been a almost a new dawn in his career and he looked better than he had at any point maybe since his injury. And then you look, we're talking now about someone who his future might be in doubt because I think, you know, his contract is 2023. So, yeah, it is a really difficult one. Um, and it does feel like we're in a bit of a technical process with Ox pretty much since his injury. I think he's obviously someone we all all root for, you know, when someone does come back from an injury. Um, and when he's someone who seems so likable as well, you do almost have that, you know, extra desire to see them succeed so it can be extra frustrating but 
it's it is honestly one of those things where you know come April he could step in for an injured an injured player um in a big game you know grab really grab by the scruff for the neck and then we're saying oh what a huge moment in Ox's career and then you know and then a bit after that it could be the same conversation we're having now so yeah that's the thing it's a bit of a head scratcher one thing I would say is you know people talk about Jordan Henderson struggling this season in the right so the right sided midfield role in the three you know who else do people want to play there that's my question like Harvey Elliott I love him do I think he's ready to start there on a consistent basis maybe not yeah in terms of the all-round qualities that I needed of a Jürgen Klopp midfielder Ox again can be brilliant can be frustrating um then you've got other players in there like uh, like Keita, for example, who I think is more suited to playing on the other side. And, you know, that's where really Thiago will be playing when when we're fully fully healthy. So that's not really um, a consideration. So, yeah, that's what I think maybe Ox would look at it and say, given that Henderson has kind of struggled for form, it could be a wider missed opportunity as well, not just last night in terms of putting more pressure on him uh, for that position. Yeah, in fairness to Ox, I actually, um, I think he clapped back at some Liverpool fans on Twitter a couple of weeks ago um, because I think he actually hasn't been injured in quite a long time and he's just, he's maybe not the person who's coming on and, and being effective in a game. So we, we mentioned rhythm there and yet yeah, that, that might be a situation at the fact that he just doesn't get on the pitch enough, he's not relied on enough, but when these opportunities do then come, it's even more important that you take them. Um, and it seems that they keep passing him by. Um, but hopefully, he'll have some big moments uh, for the rest of the season. We've got a massive three months coming up. So hopefully, um, I mean, like we, we say, we all want Ox to do well. We all think uh, that he could be a superstar, like we've seen glimpses of at LFC. But... Um, He's not yet at that that peak, um, and hopefully he can be effective for the rest of the season. But moving on to honourable mentions, um, Dan, I'll let you come in. Uh, I know it feels like every single game I see you post on a lovely screenshot of Luis Diaz, um, and I thought he was very good. Is there any Luis Diaz chat from you? Yeah, I've got Luis Diaz written down um, at the risk of repeating myself. Um, he just amazes me like every time he walks onto the fuzzy pitch at the minute. Um, I don't know whether I'm still carried away over the fact he's only been here a matter of weeks and I'm just in awe of the man, but I thought he was brilliant again last night. And when you sort of, I really don't want to criticise Sadio Mane, but when you compare the impact the two of them had when he came on, I felt like it was chalk and cheese. Like Louis Diaz, every time he got the ball, similar to the final, he was driving the people, making things happen. Obviously, he creates that half a yard for himself and has that shot. He's turning defenders inside out. I mean, I know it is only a, a very brief cameo, but it was exactly what we needed in the circumstances because obviously Norwich had only recently scored and you, like we all alluded to before, not, not extra time. But seeing Diaz in particular come on and just take the game to Norwich again, I just, just felt like everything was going to be okay. Um, so, yeah, he may always get a mention from me. But um, a deserved one last night, I felt. Um, and I, I touched on a couple of the players before who I thought did OK. But I also was really impressed with Canate, um, which I often am as well. But 
I felt like Joe Gomez had a decent game up until a point, and then his last 20 minutes was really shaky. Um, he gave the ball away, and then probably didn't do enough for the goal either after that. Whereas Canarse, I felt like played as though he was the senior centre-back, and that might be a reflection on the game time they've had, because obviously Canarse played a lot more than Gomez this season. But it's quite clear to see why Canarse is ahead in the pecking order based on last night in my opinion he just had this sort of swagger and confidence and calmness about him that I'm not sure Joe Gomez did have and that might be critical of Gomez like I say because he hasn't played much but yeah for me Canate and Diaz were probably the two standouts aside from uh, Minamino yeah, and I'm looking forward to Saturday uh, after full-time whistle to see another photo of Luis Diaz on your Twitter profile. Thanks so much for that in advance, Dan. Um, but as you mentioned there, Canate, I, I thought the two centre-halves were fairly decent. Joe Gomez had some mistakes here and there, but once again, we mentioned the fact that he's not being involved as much. I think the thing with Canate is he's came in and he's slotted in. He looks an absolute unit. Um and I thought he was absolutely superb last night. Very commanding. I tell you, the, the thing that impresses me most about Canate, and I don't know whether this is the same with you, David, is the fact that he is constantly fierce to a ball. He's always stepping up and reading the play. And it reminds me of Virgil van Dijk so much in the sense of, I know that Virgil van Dijk can read a play as better as anyone on the entire pitch. Um and the fact that Canate is already reading the pass and stepping up and intercepting it and getting us then on the front foot, um, it, it, it adds so much. And uh, do you think that Canate is literally, um, I don't want to say he's going to be Virgil van Dijk because Virgil van Dijk's on an absolutely different planet, but I think the build of Canate, I think he could be something special for the future of Liverpool Football Club. Well, he's got the full package, but. It's interesting you talk about Van Dyke. I, I also think that there's elements of Matip in his game. You know, I think he's someone who can bring the ball forward and carry it into midfield and beyond. Something that maybe I think a lot of the time you'll see him sort of start to carry the ball forward, um, and then sort of get to the centre circle, and then maybe you know get a bit hesitant, and that's understandable because he's probably extra aware of making a mistake given his age and the fact that he knows that he's got limited opportunities to to impress. But I think as his career goes on, it might be something we see more. Um, and I think it's something that was talked about before he, he came to Liverpool, as, and I said that he has. But, you know, my honourable mentions would be, first of all, I would I would say Gomez. And Dan's absolutely right that he gave the ball away sloppily a couple of times. Matip's been doing that as well, in fairness, um, recently. And, um, you know, for the goal, he could, he could do better. But on the whole, I thought it was one of his more encouraging performances since he's been injured. Um, and you talk about his lack of minutes. I mean, you know, I'm just looking it up here. He's played uh, 620 minutes this season. I wouldn't be surprised if about a third of those have actually been against Norwich. You know, because he started against them in the League Cup. Um, started last night. Played right back in the Premier League. So, like, that just gives you an indication of how, of how little he has featured. But there was one moment yesterday, and I don't know if you should remember this, but the ball sort of gets played in behind us on the left. Um, well, sort of, yeah, our right, actually. Um, and Gomez comes absolutely steaming over. Like, the, the turn of pace was amazing. 
um to watch and he comes over and deals with the situation and just look at it and i think that kind of moment there that was a kind of a subtle reminder of what he brings and if he can get back that sort of you know that like sharpness really and um in terms of his actual you know defending at, at certain moments and always being you know safe in possession in the areas that he's actually got it you know he certainly has the physical attributes to be a perfect club centre half and we've seen in the past that he has the defensive attributes too so I am someone who's very much going to keep faith with Gomez and fight his corner the other one I'd say uh is is Harvey Elias and uh you know he didn't start but like you know he played 45 minutes Luis Diaz played six minutes <laughs> and he gets an honorable mention so I think we're in man crush territory there as much as I love him um I think that's <laughs> almost a little bit excessive from Dan um but yeah, I'd have Elliot, and uh, the reason is I just think he's he's so good to watch. Like the positions he takes up, he just his ability to find space and find players in space. I don't know. I just I think he's one of the players who I actually enjoy watching most in the squad. Yeah, some really good individual performances. I'm surprised that no one said this Mikas because I thought he was brilliant and all. But I guess um, I've not really seen a bad game from him. So when he's that consistent when he plays. Uh, it kind of feels like you don't need to give him an honourable mention because he's he's just that boss um, and he absolutely loves us, doesn't he, as well? So that's always a plus. But uh, Liverpool are now one win away from Wembley in the FA Cup, which, if you ask me, is absolutely ludicrous that we have to go to Wembley for the semi-final. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possibly... It, it's everything that's wrong with football, really, isn't it? Let's be honest. But uh, moving on to the positive side of it, it is another potential cup. There was obviously four up for grabs. We've got one. Uh, Dan, I'll come to you first. Is the quadruple reality? Is it realistic? Is it a dream? Or is it very much a case, ask you again in a couple of months, Dan? <laughs> Can it be all three of them things? Because that would be ideal. Um, of course it's realistic, because obviously we are still in. All three competitions, we were we have won one of them, so that's already boxed. Um, and this quality has proven time. This quality, this squad has proven to have the quality time and time again. Um, so there's no reason why we can't, you know, go and do all of it. And um, it's certainly got the mentality to do so as well. What what I'd say is it's very difficult to look at sort of the four as a collective, and this this the players and Jurgen Klopp in particular will be looking at. Each individual game, like they always say, each individual trophy. But when you look at each individual trophy, like I say, there's no reason why we can't win it. So if it just so happens that we end up with four of them, then happy days. We'll probably need a little bit of luck along the way in terms of obviously the FA Cup draw is later. I think we'd all like to avoid Man City and Chelsea in that. If we could, you're probably going to play them at some point, but not in the quarterfinals would be nice. Um, And the same with the Champions League. If we... If we get passed into Milan, as we all expect, then, you know, a relatively handy quarterfinal draw will be nice in that as well. But in terms of what we've got at our disposal and what we can control, yeah, this is a side very much capable of achieving something that's never been done before in terms of the quadruple. I think it's still a dream because, like I say, it's never been done before. City are in pole position in the league. Um and the Champions League is very difficult to win. As much as we've won it six times, we've got a brilliant record of going deep. It's not easy. So 
yeah, it, it's realistic, a dream, and I'd like it, trust me, again in a few weeks. Yeah, I, I, I will do. Um, <laughs> I, the, you know what? I thought to myself, if there's one one cup that we probably don't win, it'll be the FA Cup. Um, and that's just, I, for some reason, does it not feel like to use, uh, David, I'll come to you first, that, especially for the Champions League anyway, it feels like every match now is is solid. Where a couple of years ago, I don't know why, but it didn't feel like that. Where now, I don't really want to get any of them, to be honest. I mean, even Juventus, I think we could absolutely have them off, but I still don't want them. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I was talking about this after the game yesterday. Like, you know, there's obviously a job to do against Inter Milan, you know, to make sure that we don't fumble that one. But then you look at it and you think, obviously, the quarterfinals, it opens up to everyone. And I think Liverpool and Man City are the two sides who, at this very moment, you know, City have been the best team in Europe this season. But, like, if we're talking about right now, it's between those two for me, as in who is, like, the number one. Um and, you know, obviously we could face them. But equally, you know, if we were to be drawn against Chelsea, I'd absolutely be dreading that as over, over two legs. You know, it was stressful enough <laughs> in the final. Um, and, you know, teams like Bayern and PSG, if they get through against Real Madrid, you know, you look at them and you think, I think Liverpool are better than those teams. Um, but you can't ignore the match winners that they have. You know, Lewandowski, Mbappe, Neymar, Messi. Um, you know, they are people who can decide a tie. It doesn't. It's not always a case, and we know this of the best team wins, even though it's a two-legged tie. Um, so it is going to be extremely difficult. There's no doubt about that. Um, but in terms of you know the quadruple, generally, I think there's genuine belief in the squad that it's possible, and we saw that um, after the final. I think Trent and Salah both sort of posted like one out of four. Their ambition is extremely high and they think the Liverpool squad's capable of it. So that is exciting. No doubt about that. I'm kind of, I'm always someone who doesn't really like athletes to kind of talk a big game, to be honest. Um, feels like he's sort of inviting um, a bit of punishment by doing it. But I think when it's players of that ability, it's just kind of like um, a, a merited arrogance in a way. Um, for me, like... I look at that moment last weekend at uh, Goodison, and obviously we didn't really get a chance to talk about this in the aftermath, but basically you've seen a decision that they've admitted is wrong, effectively hand City three points as as opposed to one. Um, and I just can't shake the feeling this week, you know, once the initial kind of anger has passed from that, I just can't shake the feeling that that will be kind of a decisive moment in the title race, to be honest. And we'll obviously use that to put a, an asterisk against against City's name. Um, so whether we we can win the league, I'm not sure, to be honest. You know, we might need to win at the Etihad as well. You know, I believe we're capable of doing that, but I also think it's going to be one of the hardest asks of the whole club era to do that. And if that's necessary, then that has to be considered. So I'm kind of in the mindset now of maybe we can do... I mean, if we win the Champions League in a cup, I would absolutely have taken that start of the season. So I'd happily take that as a double. Um, I think a, a treble is uh, is possible, kind of an upgraded version of what we saw in 2001, really. But, and I know it sounds like a massive cliche, 
I think there's actually merit to it. It is a case of just taking it one game at a time, really, and uh, you know, making sure we don't think we're in the quarterfinals already in the Champions League. I think we all kind of do, but you know, we saw that into a good side, so we've got to can't rest on our laurels in that one. Um, we don't know who we're going to draw yet in the in the FA Cup. You know, we could easily get City or Chelsea then, and it's like, um, you know, especially if we make changes to the team. Whether we would or not for for that game, I don't know. But if we did, then you're thinking that's a very tough ask. Um, and yeah, the the other one would obviously be West Ham on Saturday. And you think one of only two teams who've beaten us this season. That's going to be an extremely difficult game. And every game, I think we've got a run now of games where they all look pretty difficult. And each win is going to feel really big. And each win's like a small step. But you've got to just, you know. You can't be. I don't. You can be thinking about the the quadruple and the whole overarching, you know, possibilities. I think you really do just have to think. Right, let's win this game, and then that takes us a little bit nearer to possibly making history. Yeah, you mentioned one game at a time, so let's do one game at a time. Then it is Liverpool v West Ham, Saturday half five kickoff. Um, and like you alluded to there, this feels like a massive game. It feels even more massive, the fact that City obviously got that ludicrous decision. But Man City also do play Man United this weekend, I am pretty sure. So hopefully United can do something aside from roll over on the floor. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith, but I am hoping. Um, Dan, what have been your impressions of West Ham? Because I think they sit in fifth right now, two points behind United. Uh, they're fighting for top four. I, I, I'm not too sure I believed that they could do that at the beginning of the season, but they've shown themselves as a real force. Yeah, they have done. That um, That fighting for top four is, is turning into less of a fight and more of like, um, well, it might be a bit of a pillow fight at the minute, let's put it that way, because nobody seems to want it, do they? Every time you think, oh yeah, they're the favourites now. And it was West Ham for a period. They end up losing a couple of games or drawing a couple of games. And you just think, it's a bit of a mess, isn't it? When you look at sort of the disparity in quality between that little gaggle of teams and us and City in particular, but you could also bring Chelsea into that bracket. We're talking different leagues, quite literally, I think. Um, but in terms of West Ham, yeah, I have, I have been impressed with them this season, generally. Because I think more so because you still, they obviously had that great year last year. But I don't think anybody expected them to repeat that. But they have done. Um, their, their recent form has, has dipped a little bit. And I think sort of the stresses of the season with what is quite a thin squad, particularly when you factor in some key injuries they've had. I know Angela Bonner is still missing. Um, and they've only recently got Kurt Zuma, the controversial Kurt Zuma back as well. Um, and they are asking the same players to go to the well time, time and time again. When you look at Declan Rice, Mikel Antonio, Thomas Suchek, Jared Bowen, um, it is very much the same group of players week in, week out. And obviously Europa League to add into that. Um, and I think that's affected the results recently. But when we played them, obviously I went down, I was there that day. Um, we didn't match them physically. Um, one thing we know about David Moyes' side is they will be physical, they'll look to sort of engage um, and they'll make life difficult, particularly from set pieces. And I think two of the three goals we conceded were from set pieces. So we'll have to address that. But I just think we're in a much better place now than what we were then. And 
to counteract that, they're slightly in a worse place. Obviously, they got beat last night by Southampton as well in the FA Cup. Um, I wouldn't say the wheels are coming off at West Ham, but maybe one's just started to wobble in a pretty worrying manner. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if your heads fell off, but mine did when I looked at uh, the Europa League the other day. And for some reason, I couldn't see West Ham as fixture. Apparently, uh, if you won, you get a week off or something and you face the people who played the last week. It is mental. I, I don't think that's ever happened. And if it has... No, it is new. It is new, Chloe, right? Thank God. I was yeah. about to say, because if, if that happened to Liverpool when we got to the final, I do not remember it. Um, but you, you mentioned there how good West Ham have been. I think you, you mentioned that game alone. I think Alisson has quite a nightmare, that game. Um one of you know the worst performances he's played for Liverpool, but he makes up for it in every way because of how good he's been in every other game. Um, so I think you know you mentioned how how good we are in the position that we are. We obviously have Jared Bowen, which we've been linked to several times. Um, but David, does it feel like that game wasn't necessarily a fluke, but we did make some individual errors that led to goals? Um, now we've we've also got Luis Diaz in there, who's a, another force. Um, everyone's fighting for competition and places. Yet we might be without Thiago, but we've got people who can fill in for him. And also, let's be honest, the lads have had a rest and will be rearing to go. Yeah, that's quite important. Um, I think obviously, if we'd have to play maybe West Ham in midweek off the back of that final, and that would have been you know really really difficult. Um, I think it's just like, you know, with that defeat earlier in the season, it's just a case of like learning from it. And the two things really would be the set pieces, like you've said, um, and sort of defending counter attacks and, and transitions, really. Uh, I think they were the things that kind of killed us in that game. And then with the set pieces, like I have a lot of confidence. I don't know if, if you two think this, but when Liverpool defend a set piece, I almost look at it as right. We can we get an opportunity on the counter attack here because I think we are generally really good at doing that. Um, but that was the game that I thought we kind of lapsed. And uh, West Ham, we know, are one of the best teams in the league for that. So got to be mindful of it. And you know, you can't maybe prevent giving corners away sometimes. But what you can do is not give free kicks away in in good areas in the final third. So that's something you have to be mindful of. I think you know, especially for the fullbacks. Um, I mean, in terms of West Ham and like the top four race, like you know, you you two have sort of covered it quite well. I think for me, it's just that they lack maybe the consistency of uh, a team like Arsenal, who I'd say are the favourites right now. I think they're you know they're obviously a, a good side and they're going to be sort of in that like top seven for sure. I, I'd say, but there's some games um, where you'd expect them to win and they slip up, like. Against Leeds, for example, they got beat. Um, and there was a game against Southampton as well when Southampton were struggling a bit more and they were they were both home games in Newcastle too. I know Newcastle are in good form, but again, a team competing for the top four should be beating them. Um so I think for me they're not gonna they're not gonna have enough to get fourth. But you know, for West Ham, if they were able to consolidate and get another European um, you know, secure European qualification again, I think the fans would probably be quite happy with that. Um, I think a big part in them maybe having the slump that Dan kind of alluded to, and it's not been a major slump, but they have dropped off a bit from the start of the season, is kind of the form of Antonio. But we'll see if he 
uh, raises his game uh, coming to Anfield at the weekend. He's someone who kind of seems to relish the physical battle he'll have with, with our centre-back. So, yeah, just got to learn from that um, game earlier in the season. You know, we, we deserve to get beat on the day. Um, we didn't play very well. Um, but I'd hope that, you'd almost hope that losing um, in a strange way makes us more likely to win because we'd be mo- we'll be more wary of the specific uh, dangers that they pose. Yeah, exactly. And to get that win, I'll come back to you, David. What is your starting lineup? I found it a little bit difficult um, in a couple of areas this week. Um, the back four was, was pretty standard. I had um, Matip coming in, but I'm fairly confident. Um, obviously, that's with Trent, Van Dijk, Robbo and Alisson in goal. Um, I'm fairly confident that Dan will have put uh, Canate in there to deal with Antonio, but we'll, we'll see about that in a minute. Midfield, Fabinho coming back in, Henderson playing as well, because he came off, I think, after about an hour yesterday. Um, and Keita, who had a decent game in the final, uh, would fill in for Thiago. will hopefully be back against Inter, but Klopp said, like, um, maybe for Inter. But I just translated that as no for Inter, because it's Thiago, so he'd be a bit more patient with him. The front three was the the headache for me, because, you know, the Salah, Mane, Diaz one has been has been quite good. Um I kind of feared that we might struggle a bit with a, a kind of new set up there, but we didn't really. Um, having said that, I'd probably put Jota back in, so Salah and Jota. And then really it's like a bit of a toss-up um, between Mane and Diaz for me in that third slot. It could be a case of one plays here um, and one plays against Inter. So I think I'd probably go for, for Mane here. Um I can't, like I say, it's kind of a 50-50 call for me, but yeah, maybe a bit more reverting to what we saw earlier in the season with the front line. Yeah, I think that is probably the, the biggest headache for Jurgen Klopp. Um, I think that the rest of the team might pick itself. The only reason I'd put Matip in with you is because of how consistently good he's been this season. Um, Canate will get his, his his chances and if he's needed, he will be brought on. Um, you know, we seen that in the final when we knew Matip couldn't last more than 90 minutes, Canate came on. But uh, for me, most definitely has to be Diaz. I'm so sorry to Mane, but Diaz has made a bigger impact for me than Mane has uh, on that left wing in the last couple of games. And um, like Dan alluded to earlier on, uh, when they both came on yesterday, Diaz was the one that looked a spark. Um, I remember he puts one just over the bar with a lovely turn uh, on the edge of the box. But Dan, I'm, I'm assuming Diaz is going to be in your starting lineup. But uh, just to double check with you, what is your starting lineup? How did you guess? Um, yeah, Diaz is in there. Um, he's got to be. I just think, like like I said with Jota a few weeks ago. In terms of sort of the Jota and Firmino argument, you can't ignore form sometimes. I don't think we can ignore Luis Diaz's form since he arrived. He's been sensational. He lit the place up again last night. He lit the final up for me. He was our best player in the final. Um, most threatening throughout the game. When we had the ball, I thought, give it to Diaz because he looked most likely the whole time. Um, so I just don't think we can see him sat on the bench at any point. I just don't see how that's possible. I mean... You know, you can take him out of games, you can you can rest and rotate him here and there, but when it's sort of like a, a must-win game, which is what this is in the Premier League, especially playing before City, Diaz has to start for me right now. Um, Sadio Mane, love him to pieces, going to have a huge part to play between now and the end of the season. But for me, 
it's Salah, Jota and Diaz against West Ham. Um, and on the Kanate one, I've got the same side as well, midfield-wise, as you guys, exactly the same. Um, I've actually gone with Matip for this, surprisingly. Whilst I completely agree that Dave was right to assume that I would have Kanate for sort of the physicality against Antonio. Um, I have gone with Matip because, listen, he's world-class, isn't he? I think he's been superb recently. But also, he had the night off last night. Didn't kick a football last night in anger. So for me, it's a no-brainer to bring him straight back in. Usually when I go with Kanate over Matip, it's to sort of rest and rotate and to give Matip that that break that we all know he needs. But he's already had that. So I've got no issue with him starting on Saturday. Yeah, and finally, I mean, look at the team that we can put out there. Yes, West Ham will uh, have a good starting lineup, and they'll, they will probably match us with work ethic they'll match us on the pitch I reckon for a decent amount of time I think uh, the game will be a solid match but I think uh, in front of the Anfield crowd Liverpool um, passing it round them I think Liverpool tire them out before I do give my prediction now I will come to you first Dan what is your prediction for this match? Yeah, in terms of the game, very similar to you. I think it'll be a physical match for large parts. But as long as we do match them physically, um, which we didn't do at their place earlier this season, in my opinion, um, we should have the quality to prevail here. Um, and obviously, you alluded to sort of the, the, the strength and depth we've got. We'll probably make another eight or nine changes, perhaps even ten again for this one. So we have that luxury, whereas West Ham were pretty much full strength last night when they got beat by Southampton. So they're going again. We are coming in fresh. So it's a whole different ball game. And um, for me, I think we win 2-0. Yeah, I, I will take a 2-0. David, are you higher or lower? I would go lower. I think it'll be a one-goal Liverpool win, uh, essentially 2-1. I think they might be able to to get a goal. I think it is going to be one of them where it is a real battle. And, you know, to win in that those circumstances would feel really big not just you know from our point of view but obviously like you've both mentioned playing before Man City and you actually look at it this is really one of the hardest games certainly on paper that City have left all season they've played Arsenal twice they've played um, Spurs twice they've played Chelsea twice I'm pretty sure as well so um, United the home you, you'd obviously back them to win but you look at it I think United have won there two or three times in in recent years um, so maybe they'll be able to to get something from them. Um, and you know, I'm not really sure how much of a part it plays uh, when you get to you know play before your title rivals. But you know, I guess we'll see this weekend if there is any sort of visible impact in terms of can we get a win and then pressure on City. But yeah, like I said earlier, really difficult game. Feels like a really big game as well. You know, um, with that sort of half five kickoff, especially I think you know when the kind of darkness descends and stuff. Hopefully, it's a really good atmosphere. Um, and yeah, I think it'll be a hard fought Liverpool win. Yeah, I I was gonna go with a clean sheet, and I think I am gonna stick with my clean sheet. I'm gonna go Liverpool three 0 I'm hoping West Ham will be absolutely gassed um, from obviously midweek FA Cup loss, uh, and I'm hoping that Liverpool put the pressure on United, uh, put the pressure on City. Sorry for United to get a win on the Sunday. Um, any final thoughts from you two before we do wrap up? I was just going to say, actually, on that, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because, obviously, if we beat West Ham, that's even more incentive for, for Manchester United to go and beat City. Yeah. So, for the first time in a long time, we could do each other a favour here. Um, 
not very often we want to sort of make friends with them, but this weekend could be one of them. Um, but yeah, in terms of final thoughts, I think I've been saying it most weeks now. Just drink it in, Reds, because it's not always this good. This is it this season. This is outstanding. So just enjoy it. Yeah, 100%. This is the best Liverpool team I have ever seen. I thought it couldn't get any better. And yet this season it has. Let's make Anfield absolutely bounce on Saturday. This is a massive game. We can obviously go three points behind them before they play. Uh, with a game in hand and hopefully they mess up against United. Uh, But nice one for listening uh, and until the next one, see you next week.